Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Hil Han Zengen, CEO of Show Eras Group. <laughs> we have been training a lot, Hil Han, how to pronounce your, your name, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, welcome again to, to the show, Hil Han. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, Ilhan, but you know, it, it, it's all good. Uh, I, I totally understand, but it's difficult to pronounce, but it's not important, you know. I know who you are, you know who I am, and, and that's about it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's get to know more about you and uh, what are you doing with uh, Show Heroes Group and how it all started. Yeah, sure. I mean, Show Heroes Group, we started the company, I would say, five years and a half ago, roughly, in Berlin, where our headquarters still are today, actually. Um, we have come a long way in a relatively short period of time, if you will. So um, when we started, it was just me and my two co-founders, uh, Dennis and Mario. I'm the CEO of the group and um, one of the MDs and, you know, obviously one of the founders, as I said. And so when we started, it was just the three of us. And today the company has grown to more than 300 heroes all over the world and more than 20 markets, more than 25 offices. So in terms of sheer size, um, the company has come quite a long way, so to speak. But um, yeah, in terms of how we started the whole business and how things evolved over time, it's also an interesting story to tell, kind of. I mean, I was working before I started Show Heroes. Back then, it was just, quote unquote, Show Heroes. Then Show Heroes Group, we just launched last year. But I think we will get back to that later in our conversation because it has to do with M&A and with scaling up. But in the beginning, it was Show Heroes. And before I started Show Heroes, I was working in the media space already for a company called Plista, P-L-I-S-T-A, that was, by the time, at least the market leader, or it had, became, by the time, the market leader over time, uh, in Germany at least, for um, yeah, native advertising. Back then, it was still known as image text recommendations, major competitor of Opera and Tabula, who, by the time, weren't present in Germany for real. So we were like kind of the market leader. And we built the company from, you know, almost five to 10 employees to uh, up to 200. And then we sold to WPP Group M. I don't know where it was, like seven years ago, eight years ago or something okay. like that. So during that period, that was my first job, right? So I learned by the time everything about the media industry. Um, I started as a regular, you know, sales intern and then worked my way up to the management of the company in a short period of time because it was a quickly growing business and the space was growing like crazy. And um, when the founders of that company left, I became in charge of internationalizing the business alongside with M and WPP. So I brought the business to like literally all relevant markets out there globally, except for Africa and Latin America, but like US, Australia, China, Malaysia, Singapore, um, Russia, the UK, all over Europe, Turkey, but basically all those markets and it really helped me personally, like to develop a very senior exec skill set and a very senior exec network in like no time after just a couple of years in into the media business, right? So that was kind of a Kickstarter. And then when you travel the whole world and you meet all those big publishers, you need all those big agency execs and clients, and everybody's telling you about one thing and one thing only. And that is by the time, five years ago, it was mobile and video. 
when we kind of thought that, yeah, you know, like this business is obviously you not know, growing the way we want it to grow because it has been acquired by a huge corporate and this corporate has a huge of assets and a couple of asset managers and shareholders. So the priority that has been set for that business at that point in time has not been in line with me as, as a you know individual would have set as a priority for myself in order to scale up and be successful. And at the same time, you know, there wasn't any investments being made into all the trending topics like video, like, like mobile advertising. So we said, you know what, let's start all over again. Let's drop out. Let's basically start from the roots. Let's try to raise a little bit of money, even though nobody was giving us uh, anything significant by that time. And me and my two co-founders, we started, um, you know, over again in Berlin with Show Heroes in the beginning, focusing on mobile first video experience for publishers. That is basically the background story of, of the company. And um, if you want me to explain what we're actually doing, I mean, we started as a business that um, by the time was focusing heavily on content production. So our biggest office today, not anymore. I think now it's the second biggest. By the time our biggest office has been in Latvia, Riga, and still is one of our you know, most important offices. And we built a whole content production facility over there. So we really produced snackable, engaging video content for social media, for mobile devices, you know, like everything you as a user would like to engage in terms of evergreen content. And when we transitioned over to where I'm coming from, the media play, while making this content accessible to end users like you and me on premium websites by implementing our player technology and nowadays our semantic targeting, our asset management system on publishers' websites and to actually match evergreen video content that is professionally produced with content of an written article. So you as a user go to a website about traveling, um, premium website, you scroll through an article which is about traveling to the Northern Europe um, and you will be exposed to a piece of video content that starts playing in the middle of the website, which is about the 10 most important travel destinations in Northern Europe. So you become converted, if you will, from someone who is reading a text about a topic that someone has picked proactively into someone who was watching a video about a topic that this particular person has picked proactively in the first place. And feeling and experienced. That, exactly, exactly. And that we are actually now going to um, you know, sell or make accessible to the buy side, to the agencies, to the advertisers out there, because you as a user, you become very relevant, Mike. I mean, for for instance, British Airways, EasyJet, or whomsoever, right? Because they want to be top of on top of mind at users uh, who are interested in, you know, their services at a certain point in time so in the brand safe environment. And that's basically what we do. Like we connect huge premium advertisers with huge premium publishers by enabling video content technology as a glue uh, in the middle to basically you know, create a common ground for both parties and obviously create more you know, value and relevance. I think it's a key term for the end users like you and me. That's great. That's a, an amazing story and congratulations for your journey. Uh, when we were preparing this podcast, I had the opportunity to, to say how, how difficult it is to start up a company and uh, how even more difficult it is to uh, scale up a company. 
uh, and doing this for for the second time, uh, it's it's uh, two times outlier, right? So, uh, in in that sense, uh, maybe to to the ones who have not been listening recently, I, I will repeat the stats. Uh, so there is a study uh, in the in the US that applies to to the rest of the world, where just four percent of all companies gets to 1 million in revenues, uh, only 0.4% to uh, 10 million and 0.04% uh, to 100 million, which shows how difficult it is. And um, uh, he, he'll, Han, uh, you, have, you have done this uh, in under 10 years, which is kind of the dream uh, in, the, in the VC packet industry uh, that, we, that we discuss here uh, a lot in, in the show. And we always discuss here free critical ingredients to, to scale uh, that we have seen patterns that we have seen again and again discussing with, with different uh, entrepreneurs and, and working with different leadership teams and CEOs uh, across the years. Uh, number one, radical focus. Number two, world-class leadership. And number three, uh, an execution machine. So starting with, with number one. So Clearly, here is important the, the, the focus and also the differentiation. So you have been able to, to scale your uh, previous company uh, and you have seen an opportunity in a very crowded space in the media industry, a very competitive uh, landscape and really double down on, on that opportunity and, and create the future. So being able to exploit what has been already uh, the, the success of the industry, but also to explore what's new. And this also creates a lot, needs to have a lot of faith to, to create that what's new. So how do you keep a certain focus uh, moving forward, creating a new category in a very crowded and competitive space? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I mean, you are right. Um, if I hadn't worked at um, my previous company where I started as an employee, um, I, I would never have done what we have done today at Show Heroes, right? So I think the radical focus is something that also um, has evolved over time through the experience that I was capable to gain, to make in the past. And, and something that we always say is, you know, and I mean, obviously if it's not me saying that all the time, it's, uh, you know, a saying that is well known, I mean, it's okay to, I don't know, like, you know what I mean? You can say that uh, it's okay to fail, but you should learn from your mistakes. That's pretty much what it is, right? And I, I think um, the opportunity, and it, like Show Heroes Group slash Show Heroes, that's my first company. Like I never founded a company myself prior, so it's the first shot. So with that in mind, obviously, I, I feel kind of, you know, um, blessed, quote unquote, to, uh, um, to that extent that, we have, you know, come so far in a positive way, but the experience that I made in the past in a, at least a similar business in the sense of that it was located in the same space, but really helped me to make a lot of learnings along the way. Because a lot of things we did with the company back then was also for the first time. Like this company wasn't consisting of super senior execs that knew exactly which way to go and what to do and what not to do. Everything was kind of trial and error basically what you would expect from a startup, right? So a lot of those trial and error experiences I already made in the past. So that for sure helped me to scale and to more radically focus on what's important with my business today. And that is, you know, finding the niche um, in the market, like find a good product market fit from day one, 
because you know what the total addressable market is really looking, you know, looking to to acquire, looking to be provided with in the sense of, you know, mobile first back then, now it's multi-screen, of course, in the sense of video content, in the sense of relevance for the users, in the sense of brand safety and KPIs for the buyers, and then obviously also yields resulting out of that for the publisher, for the actual media owner. Like this is something, if you're not from the industry, like no chance you're going to end up doing something like this today, right? I mean, you really have to know the industry. And prior, you have to have a network, you have to know the metrics behind it. This is basically where the focus stems from. But, and, and this is something I've, I think that definitely all the listeners should take note of as well is, I mean, only because you know the business and the space and you have an idea what product would be a good fit for the market. But doesn't necessarily imply, unless you have experience in that as well, which I hadn't to that extent, that you understand how to focus radically on how to build the business. Because building a business is way more, unfortunately, than just building a product, right? It's building a team, it's building structure, it's building P&Ls, raising funds if you have to, um, you know, building a strategy, short-term, mid-term, long-term. Like there is a lot of more things involved. And only because you know what the market wants, doesn't necessarily imply that you are capable of putting that into practice in the sense of building a whole machinery that cannot just start and survive for the first two years, make a couple of millions, maybe even return a profit, but also can scale up to the next level, make a hundred and maybe even go IPO at some point in the future, right? Those are completely different ball games. And I think um, your radical focus to get back to the you know, initial core of your question is something that also changes throughout those periods. In the beginning, the focus is to survive, to build the product, to prove your point. And then it's like to find, you know, like-minded heroes in our, you know, case left and right that can support you rolling out the whole thing, getting it to the next level and so on and so forth. So I think our focus has changed quite often. In the beginning, it was pure survival mode and proving your point. Then it became, you know, okay, how can we actually start making money with that? and you know, compete, and now it's about scaling it up. This is a really a great point. I, I like to see scale-ups nowadays as a, as a portfolio of businesses. So there are different industries, different geographies, different products who are at different stages of maturity, as you were saying. Right? So there are some of them that we are still testing that are in startup mode, and some of them are really uh, growing like, tra- like crazy, which are in scale-up mode. Maybe some of our portfolio of companies are already in mature stage, which means that it will be difficult to keep scaling. We need to find new ways uh, of growth. So they might be already in maturity stage. They might be growing maybe 5 10% a year, which is not enough for a company that wants to keep doubling. Um, so this is kind of what helped us scale in the past. And it's kind of the story that you have just presented in your pre- working on, on your previous company and wanted to really be part of this new future and creating new, new, this new future and, and being able to start up your own company. But that's a very good point, Mike, especially comparing the business I have at hand today compared to the previous one. Like the previous one never scaled above, like, I mean, you can look at it from different angles, but if one is being honest, it never really significantly scaled above 40 or 50 million euros turnover, right? And right. even though it got acquired by, um, you know, a huge corporate and, um, the reason, I mean, again, it depends how you look at it, but this is how I would um, describe it. 
Um, the reason for that obviously is that, that those, those means, those, okay, how do I reach to the next level? Those means were never undertaken. And I mean, if you look at it from a, you know, classic, um, you know, economics perspective, I think we also talked about it um, in our previous conversation. I mean, you either have to go into new markets to actually take your existing or more or less established product onto new, you know, journeys and adventures in new market to actually open, to widen the total, total addressable market, right? Yeah. Um, or um, you have to put out new product lines, ideally picking up one of the um, accelerators that you already have invested in working on your previous more established product in one of your more established markets in order to scale there. And the way how I like to describe it for the most part is like the established markets, they also have to function as a lab to a certain extent, right? You need to right. scale until you end up getting into diminishing returns. And at that time, you need to put out new product lines to try to leverage either your supply, the amount of product you know, capabilities in your existing markets while taking your more advanced product, the one that is generating diminishing returns, onto new markets and then you know, basically trying to, to build on, on different verticals um, until it ends, you know, I mean, obviously there is also um, the point uh, at some point in time where it becomes more difficult, but I think we haven't reached that point at all yet. And in order to get into that flywheel, if you will, you really have to, um, that's my experience, like you can never idly idle. You always have to stay hungry if this is your first day. But after three years, this company was making a good profit. We were like in a good position in Germany. So it would have been easy by the time to just sell the company off to some strategic buyer for, you know, a couple of millions and, you know, make a good salary, have an easy living. And that's fine. I'm not hating on anybody who, you know, ends up doing that. That already is a huge success. Don't get me wrong. Right? Yeah, I mean, if you end up doing that, more power to you. That's amazing. But there are also people who just say, hey, this is not what I'm here for. Like, I really want to, you know, try out where is the ceiling, where is the limit. And to my experience, and the limit is something I have never seen for myself. And as long as I haven't seen it, I will try to reach for the limit. And I think this is one of the most important requirements in order to scale up and grow. I mean, you really have to get up every day and, and try to, you know, perceive your own business as if this is your first day and you're just trying to start it up. Yeah, I think that you have really touched something very important that sometimes we we forget, uh, and that that's the difference between a startup, a scale up, and uh, kind of a mature or listed business. Uh, it's it the, the strategy of the business is very linked with the strategy of of the founders and of the of the CEO, right? That's uh, as you were saying, if if it if it if it is the dream to really build a ten million or twenty million. Uh, company and to change the category and then sell it and, and go found uh, a new company and create a, again another new category and, and keep doing this because that's what you love to do out of your life as you were saying uh, it might be risky because of course the second and the fourth and the fourth at any time it will fail it's, it's impossible to be winning every single time but uh, again it's part of the personality of the founder that that loves that challenge and that doesn't take failure uh, too serious and and takes failure much more as a, as you said a, as a learning process and uh, challenge, challenging ourselves and, and growing through through the process. So I 
I really love it. And I think that that's a great uh, link to, to the second ingredient, the world-class um, leadership. We can also do the link with M&A here because we are almost looking to the, to the organic growth and to the current business and finding out a portfolio of businesses, but we can also acquire new businesses into that portfolio. Um, but, but going into, into, the, into the team, we need to become a different version of ourselves as we scale the company. And, and that's also the, the difference. We need to go from a founding team into a leadership team 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, as we go from 5 million to 10 million to 20 million to 50 million to 100 million to 200 million. So the same structure of the team doesn't work for the different stages of growth. So even in that side of the business, as you said, it's not just a product, we also need to keep iterating uh, what is the organizational structure and, and the team that we need to be able to manage and lead and scale the company to the next stage. So what has been your, your experience going from uh, one stage of growth to another stage of growth when, when it's regarding your own leadership style and building out your team? Sorry for the long question, but I think that... No, 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 no. Um, thanks for that. I, I like the thinking here, Mike, because um, that is really something that, um, like me personally, now I'm thinking back, right? And like me personally, I don't feel that this is something I proactively, like strategically in a, in a really structured way, I was thinking of when, you know, I was at this point in time in the past where we had to make a change to from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0 to pick off what you just said. But retrospectively, all that happened, right? And, <laughs> um, and maybe it was luck, maybe it was a coincidence, maybe it, it had to way. happen in order to, yeah, to, to, to <laughs> exactly in order to survive. I mean, what I did say um, all the time, though, was, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the day where I can, I don't know, wake up in the morning and don't feel obliged to double check everything that was happening because there are other great minds in the company that are doing that like proactively, sustainably, reliably, and with a very great output and sense of quality because we have ownership. Like this was something that in the beginning only to get back to your description of 1.0, only the founding team has, right? Like they have like true ownership and it's their company. So they are going to be the ones in the beginning in a startup phase to actually fight for everything every day. And they need to get involved into everything because they feel it's difficult to rely on, on someone else because it's not the same drive, the same motivation, the same whatsoever. And obviously, that's not necessarily um, true for everybody. And you can be, get lucky. And we also found a couple of very great execs that are with us still today that supported our endeavor very early on. But, you know, obviously, that's never enough. And if you basically reach from, I don't know, like... 3 million to 6 million, you require a different way of managing your company. If you reach from 6 million to 30 million, different way of managing your company. Now we're at 100 million. Next year, it's going to be significantly more different way to manage your company um, for various reasons. I mean, first of all, because it's simply too much stuff going on all the time. So, you, you know, scale is the definition of division of labor and of having the right structures in place. Right? You can never scale if you have bottlenecks. So you need to get rid of bottlenecks. And bottlenecks are usually human. I mean, that's basically what it is, right? And it's usually not that humans are, you know, um, 
uh, prone to fail all the time. I mean, they are to a certain extent, but it's just like because you can only do so much. That's basically what it is. I mean, preaching the obvious here, stating the obvious, but um, this is something in a startup towards a scale-up, uh, one of the biggest challenges, right? And uh, I think it's best described by having a look at how our management team was working and who our team consisted of and is now consisting of. And by no means, I'm, I'm telling you, or anybody else out there that today we have found the formula. Actually, we just had a meeting yesterday where we talked about it once again, and I realized I don't have the formula today. Like I don't know how a perfect management team, how a management team should look like. Um, simply because I've never worked in a company that huge, and simply also because like nobody has found the holy grail out there. I mean, you can just look at Google, IBM, Amazon, eBay, Meta, slash Facebook, a lot of other companies. Like everybody is doing it in a slightly different way, and there are always pros and cons. So I think there is not this secret source doesn't exist. I think that is something everybody should also be aware of. But getting back to you know um, the gradual improvement or change at least. Like in the beginning, it was me and my two co-founders. And later on, when we reached like the six, seven million threshold in Germany, by the time still local business, we had like a team consisting of our, you know, most senior execs on the sell and on the supply side, on the product side, and also a bit on the IT side. And then we once became a more global company, and this is actually also a good segue on towards the M&A discussion, we acquired a lot of companies. And I think... While you acquire companies, it's obviously very important to have an idea about the PMI, post-merger integration, before the acquisition. And um, usually that goes hand in hand with, you know, not just acquiring a brand and revenues and a P&L and maybe product benefits, but also getting, I mean, you cannot acquire people, getting a, a couple of very great um, right-minded people on board to support your journey in the future. And those guys automatically become leading senior execs of back then your and, and now our, their company in the future, right? And they basically support you in terms of integrating their former asset, now part of the bigger group. And they are also going to take the whole company to another level. And this is really what has happened over the last one and a half years where we ended up acquiring four companies. And the fifth one is going to be announced in Jan. I think we are signing the deal this week, actually, but prior to Christmas, no, doesn't make any sense to announce anything. Um, but yeah, you know, like, like this is basically uh, how we managed it. Like we always found a way of making everybody a partner and, and therefore our senior management group has just grown significantly. And today we are in the 2.0, 3.0 type version of ourselves, meaning we do have like a huge global team of execs that are either working on a regional level on a global level, doesn't make sense, right? On a global level, on a regional level, or on a local level, right. to be a little bit more consistent here. Um, and that really helps, but that is something that wasn't possible in the beginning because there wasn't enough money, there wasn't enough you know, desirable assets inside of our company, and there was not enough experience. And honestly speaking, there also was no need because if you have a very small local business, like why would you, I mean, try to establish a structure which is way bigger than what you are today. And that brings me also to my last point here. I think, um, again, just my experience, but if someone would ask me for a recommendation, I would do it the same way again. I mean, you have to invest into marketing and sales in the beginning to build the business. This will have an impact on product, 
always that way, never the other way around. And you have to, you know, try to deliver on the product side of things. And if that is going to turn out like a good fit over, you know, a certain period of time, the structure has to follow subsequently. So you will always have those growth pains once you're scaling up because you cannot build the structure ex ante. It doesn't work because you don't have the money, you don't have the experience, there's not the need in place. In order to do that, you would have to hire people to, to get that, you know, implemented, or you would have to devote, you know, important pieces of your time into that, which at this point in time, at this stage of your company, you shouldn't look into that part. You should look into building the business, right? Not into building the structure. So I do right. feel that growth pain while you're scaling up is something that is just a sign of you're doing something right because this is how it should look like. You should suffer. Um, the only important thing here is at some point in time, you need to deliver, right? I mean, you should be aware of it. You should apply the right means. You should take action for sure. But you shouldn't think that you did a huge mistake because you feel that pain. I think this is basically what's yeah. eventually going to happen. Uh, that's another great point because I think that that's how CEOs and leadership teams that are scaling companies feel at a certain point and requires a lot of emotional resilience because you are really an outlier. You are win winning and you feel it sometimes that you are failing. So, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it's happened to me several times uh, working with, uh, with CEOs and leadership teams. We have, we have a kind of a luxury problem, right? So it's, things are going super, super well, but yeah, it, it hurts because it's, it's, it seems that we are not able to take care of everything that is happening. There are fires everywhere in the business and we need to select the fires that are the most important um, and, and, and fight them. But we will always have a lot of fires around and we need to, 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 to learn to be uh, okay with that, which is not easy at all, especially for the perfectionists and for the, the, the rebels. Uh, and usually entrepreneurs are, have that kind of mindset uh, that want to, to do something very, very well and, and to disrupt. Good point. So, uh, and I think that that's a great way. We have discussed here uh, ways of keep growing the business in an organic way. Uh, namely, you're talking about the markets and the product lines to keep expanding the, the total addressable markets. But there is also a certain moment that we need to consider uh, to grow via um, M&A. So, and uh, in, at that stage, so how did you find out that it would be important for you to go on that journey? Uh, how did you develop the strategy? So for the ones who are thinking about growth and thinking about that option, what they do need to have in mind in order to do that step, in order to prepare that step well, to avoid all the, 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 the stories that we listen about acquiring companies that are not uh, very bright in a, in a certain way. Um, so you have been doing this very, very well. So what, what are some of your, of your, of your considerations? Yeah, um, you know, I think it really depends. Um, what, what, is, what are you actually trying to achieve? I mean, eventually everybody would like to try to achieve um, growth, right? But and ideally profitability and increasing the value of your business. But um, the way we started, and I mean, I can safely say today, like in our industry in the digital media space, like there is no, and I don't want to don't want to come across arrogant at all. It's just like stating the facts here. Like there is no company, um, 
I mean, obviously there are bigger deals. If you look at companies like SpotX and Magnite and stuff, like on the IPO level, but in terms of you know period of time and quality acquisitions that are strategic of strategic nature and that have turnaround all time highs right after the acquisition and just below 18 months, I think there is no other company that can match our track record, like globally in our space today. I mean, uh, name me one. I would be curious about it. This is like, and the reason for that is because um, the way how we started, you know, that type of, of buy and build strategy is actually that we never planned to do it. It again came naturally. Like we were looking at organic growth. And by the time, one and a half years ago, we had a very good year. We were actually, you know, running into a very, we came off of a very good second half of 2019. And then 2020 started off just nicely. And we thought like, okay, there's a couple of new markets we are currently operating in and there's other companies we, we know well. And we think those companies could be a good um, addition to what we have at Show Heroes, right? And in terms of the founders, the team, the supply and demand relationships we have in that particular market. So this is really something that could work well. But, you know, to your point, did I or did we have experience with acquiring companies? No. Like, did I even know how to make an offer? No. So basically, it's just turning back the clock. Did I know what it takes to, you know, start a business all over five years ago? No. Right? So it's exactly the same entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit you have to apply once again. You just think, okay, maybe it's a great idea because in my mind, it sounds like a good idea. So I reach out to those guys and see if we click and if they like the idea as well. And let's see what's going to happen. I mean, that's basically, again, trial and error, how it all started. And then obviously, you became more proficient over time because you make experience in terms of PMI. You know uh, how to structure an LOI and an offer. You know what multiples are paid in the market. And then at some point in time, and this is actually the second point I wanted to mention, you begin to think like an investment banker. Because I have no whatsoever background in investment banking, marketing, economics, nothing. Like everything I know, I taught myself in, in this business and the previous business. So whenever I start stuff, uh, I, you know, I, I just kind of try to act um, towards my gut feeling. And then I understand, okay, maybe it's the right direction. I'll really try to do the research for myself and to ask people and to look it up and stuff and to pick up stuff. So um, that really was was the outcome of of our second and third acquisition then to, you know, A, leverage the network that we had, and then B, also understand the financials behind it. And today, obviously, we made a strategy out of it. We have built, or we are currently building a department around it, like corporate business development, um, in-house consulting units, thinking, having a huge plan in place where you can, you know, subtract or add businesses to see where you're going to end up as an overall, you know, enterprise value. because. And this is really something I would like to give out as an advice uh, to everybody who, who likes to listen. Um, I mean, I think there are two very important, three, three things you should definitely consider. First of all is, do you really think that you can go quicker organically when you can do it via M&A? And by the way, it's not usually exclusive. You can do both. You should be doing both at the same time as we are doing it, actually. We grew 3x organically and 3x um, through M&A, YOY, so you should be doing both, ideally. And by the way, it's also a sign when your synergies are kicking in, because the next year, you're actually starting as a 
consolidated entity and you should grow quicker organically in the upcoming year than you did in the year before because you acquired a business previously and now the synergies should start kicking in, right? So that is also kind of a flywheel. So the question is, to get back to that point, do you think you can really do it organically? Like how long will it take? How much would you have to invest? And what are the risk factors? And if you think, for instance, about entering a market, I don't know, like, honestly, if you can buy a company when you enter a market, it's always the better, it's always the better decision, always. I mean, even if you have to pay a lot of, quite a significant amount of money today, but at least you know exactly what you can measure with. Whereas doing it organically, there's so many X factors in there. I have done it both organically and through M&A, and I think M&A is, um, it's, it's just, I mean, not the smarter, it depends on the target, but you should definitely consider it. That is one. Number two is you should then have a look at the numbers and think about the cash on cash. Like, I mean, if you count in the price you have to pay, if you extrapolate your potential enterprise value after the acquisition, and if you include the dilution you will have if you do a share swap or just if you do like an equity round in order to do the acquisition in the first place and the cash on cash is positive and you think you did a good calculation, like you did the math right, I mean, then you have to try to do it. That's basically what it is. And nowadays, the cost of capital is relatively low if you have a big, strong, sustainably working, profitable business at hand that you know is well known and has a good reputation, which luckily we have. But if you have that, getting the capital, it's a possibility. And then you just have to look at the numbers and actually take it from there. That's number two. Number three, and that is the most important part, even if the numbers tell you go, it's amazing. It's always a question, and I know it sounds pathetic because everybody would end up saying that eventually. But from my experience, this is really what makes our company so special compared not to others, but just special, generally speaking. I, I wouldn't yeah. make the point that other companies are worse at that, but out there not. And it's the people. Like you need to find the right people joining your journey to make them getting back to your 2 to 3.0 management, you know, um, structure to make them senior managers of the company, to, to make them your partners in crime while joining the journey towards more steep um, and eventual growth. And you need to make sure that the company culture just matches and clicks. And there is a lot of companies out there that are buying P&Ls, also of deteriorating businesses, just because they can get it cheaper. They want to pile everything up. We have one or two profitable assets, and the rest is just to blow it up and then to IPO and stuff like that. And I don't hate it. I mean, if this is how you end up making a lot of money, and if this is your eventual goal to make a lot of money, again, more power to you. It's fair. I can just say, if you ask me, we want to build a sustainable business that is really providing value as a whole to every single entity of our company that has joined the family in the past and will be joining the family in the future and is supposed to add value, like from day one. It's not supposed to just blow up the PL or add more people or produce you know headlines. That's not what we're trying to do. So I think the people component, the cultural component as the third factor to me is even the most important one. And I think here we have done a great job even prior to you know gaining a little bit more knowledge around the investment banker space, so to speak. And this is why all our acquisitions has been so successful in the past. That's basically the secret source, if you will. 
credits. And how do you match uh, the M&A strategy with the fundraising strategy? So um, having the, the capacity to acquire those businesses. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you have to do your homework. You have to understand a little bit about like um, capital acquisition works, how investment banks think, how venture debt works, how private equity works, how growth venture capital works. How, how banks are working um, because last but not least banks are your biggest friend i mean this is where you can get the money for the lowest price if you have a good business at hand right so i think you have to team up with you, you you need to build relationships with banks that's the most important part about it but i also understand that not everybody can do it because you can only do it and um, banks are risk averse naturally this is why vcs exist right so you have to um you know obviously build a track record that banks are convinced of if you cannot provide that, forget about them. You waste your time. Um, but if you have one, you start with the banks. And then you go on to maybe venture debt, maybe um, VC, maybe PE, primary, secondary. It kind of depends on um, do you see a strategic value behind your potential investors? How do you consider your dilution? Do you think you need an external valuation of your company to prove a point towards someone? Or do you think maybe it's not important? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, there are like different different factors out there. I think the only thing, and this has been said also a lot in, in multiple you know, podcasts and, and articles, but, but I think the only thing me personally, I'm very convinced of is like raising money. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's a, it's a bad thing. You know, like it's better if you don't have to raise money, period. That's just what it is. Like don't show off because you raise hundreds of millions. I mean, obviously, if you raise hundreds of millions to acquire a company that makes you worth way more and you have a positive COC afterwards, you're doing a great job as a manager. This is what you should be doing. But just the mere fact that someone has raised a lot of money, but that's not good news. You, you need to make good use of your capital in order to actually make it, you know, a good news in the first place. That's that's what it is. Absolutely. And also building your your assets um, that's that's something much more uh, relevant again knowing your your numbers uh, it's something very important for any uh, entrepreneur i think it was important also what you what we have been discussing about building a business and what you said also around your m a strategy so you don't start uh, with a m a team with m a m a processes uh, with M&A bureaucracy, you you do it the first time, the second time, the third time. You you start understanding the patterns. You start understanding what you need as a team. What is your strategy? And then that's the moment that you start creating the the team and the processes to to keep speeding up the the growth. And something really important to consider here is is maybe some of the fears about um, about M&A is. Um, if we are able to, it's much more about the question, how do we learn how to do it well? Uh, and how do we have maybe someone on the team who have done, who has been done, doing it before, so we can accelerate uh, and accelerate the, the, the learning process and decrease the risk um, involved in, in, in that process. Because as you were saying, entering a new market, it, it's, it's almost, uh, starting up from the beginning again. So creating a new brand in a certain space, it will take maybe three, five, five years 
maybe in some cases even more, it depends on the culture, it depends on the space to really uh, be able to have a 10 million uh, or 20 million business. So it, is, it makes much more sense in terms of speed. Uh, and, and again, as you said, you are in a very different league. When you are thinking about how do you scale a business from 100 million to 200 million or from five to 10 million, it, it doesn't work to, to grow a bit or to think how we will expand into this segment, that segment, uh, and how long it will take to find products market fit in, in those segments. So we need to be able to be much more creative uh, and find out solutions to keep growing it at that pace. So that's why it, it's the growth paradox. It's, it becomes more and more difficult to keep scaling as we, as we scale the most. So, um, and, and finally, we get into the, into, the, into the last question of the show. Uh, I extended it a bit because I think it was, we had so much more to, to cover and I tried to uh, compress the, 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 as much as we could uh, from your uh, insights and your experience, Hilhan. And uh, so if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with your younger self at the beginning of uh, Show Heroes, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? I think, first of all, I would ask my younger self why he uh, accepted my invitation for a cup of coffee, because I was never really uh, a coffee drinker. I, I always drank a lot of tea. tea. Okay, let's, <laughs> but, let's go for a tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but if, if we're drinking tea or maybe like a, you know, short cortado or espresso or something, it will work. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it was a question that you, you sent me previously, right? Spoiler, everybody. And <laughs> so I could prepare for the joke. By the way, um, not, not all but, the questions as you felt during no, the no, 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 but this, this, this one in particular, this one in particular, the others uh, definitely not. Um, and no, and I, I guess it, it's fair, right? Because this is, this is the question which, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned that because I was actually trying to think of something meaningful. And honestly speaking, um, and I think this is why I, I think it's a great question, because um, I ended up actually saying to myself or thinking for myself that um, hmm, I, I, there is not a lot of recommendations, really, because like one thing that comes to mind is easing up someone's, you know, pain or concerns by saying, hey, listen, you know, you don't have to like be head over heels into everything and don't have to worry all the time because that's what you, especially in the beginning, you worry all, this is what I was doing. I was worrying all the time because I was worried for the business. I was worrying for my colleagues. I was also worrying for myself because to your point, um, I think uh, a lot of people that build businesses are sore losers. I'm definitely a sore loser. So if I would have lost like that game, so to speak, in the beginning, I would have been very disappointed to say the least about myself. So that obviously, you know, keeps you um, keeps you worrying all the time. Um, but that's not a real recommendation because I think because I was worrying because I was pushing so hard. This is definitely one of the you know keys to success, right? And I, I couldn't actually figure out anything today which, in particular, would have you know would me do um, something very much differently in the past. Obviously, there are smaller operational things like, okay, like this was a great hire, this was a bad hire, or not a great hire. Obviously, that stuff always applies. But generally speaking, I would really say I would do it exactly the same way again. You know, I have nothing, nothing to regret with this company. I think we have, we have come 
um, as I said, a long way in a relatively short period of time. And it has been a lot of fun. It has been a lot of tears as well, but that goes hand in hand. And I, I think you shouldn't take away the suffering, right? Because this will also eventually block out the success. This is really what I believe. I think it has to hurt in order to, you know, um, to count. And therefore, I wouldn't give me any advice whatsoever. I love it. That's that's really a, a great point. I think that uh, as entrepreneurs, we we learn a lot. The what we call kind of the psychology of uh, of success. Uh, and and the difficult part, as you said, is also to maintain those uh, thought habits uh, and that mindset habits as we go through the ups and downs of life and business. Um, and again, uh, not taking us too, too serious if, if we win and if we fail, because again, that's another stage of growth. Uh, it will happen. Exactly. I agree. I agree. It's, it's part of your game. Absolutely. Ilhan, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for making the time and for this amazing conversation. Again, uh, thanks for having me, Mike. It was, uh, was a pleasure, a lot of fun. Let's do it again. See you soon. It's perfect. And for, for you, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier uh, going through the scaling up process. See you soon and keep scaling. 